how was your trip to Glamorous, Orange County, California eh. yesterday? Eh. Why is it so hot? <laughs> well, it's it's hot everywhere. It's hot everywhere, John. I don't know if you've heard of this uh, climate change thing. But the whole point of living in California is so you can live near the coast. And then you get the sea breeze, and it's like 20 degrees cooler. It's a perfect 70, balmy 70 degrees at the coast. And you Indeed. go like a mile inland, and all of a sudden it's 135. It's not 135. I'm pretty sure it felt like 135. I think you're okay. exaggerating slightly. The real feel, I don't know if you visit Yahoo Weather, the real feel was like 135, maybe 150. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wait, where did you go? It was a convention for work. No, I mean, what what town? Oh, it was Orange County. <laughs> not that matters. <laughs> it was the Hyatt. The, the Hyatt. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, needless to say, we're not a fan of the suburban sprawl of... It wasn't. Well, it wasn't suburban for sure. It's just like a little bit past Irvine, Irvine. Sorry. Irvine. Irvine. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. And then when I, I got oh, back the, home, oh, that urban center in in Irvine. <laughs> so after driving, you know, the hour and a half to get up there, I have to drive an hour and a half back, and mm-hmm. then there's no parking because my neighborhood decided to have a festival of the arts. <laughs> That's what you get for being in a cool hipster neighborhood, guys. I thought, get... but John, you love the arts. No, not when I'm trying to park. Okay. <laughs> Not when they're inconveniencing moi, okay? That's not what art's about. Art's about doing favors for John. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what Andy Warhol was trying to accomplish, okay? All right. What do John, I get why, out of this? Why didn't you actually participate in the art fair? Because <laughs> I don't have any turquoise jewelry I can sell, okay? <laughs> Out. All right, huge burn on the turquoise industry. <laughs> huge sunburn because it was so freaking hot yesterday. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm full of the vinegar today. I'm full of vinegar. <laughs> well, John, I, I've got something to cheer you up. Oh, what's that? Um, it's a movie that one of us chose that desperately wanted to see. <laughs> this week we watched Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I've been undressed by kings, and I've seen some things that a woman ain't supposed to see. I've been to John, I found some justification for this. Well, okay, fine. You're you're lucky, okay? Well, We're I mean, actually... I have my own personal justification. All right, patented, did, no, no, patented I... John real talk time, okay? No, John, we both, John. We both get, get something let's out get of back this. To, no, 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 no. I know. I mean, let's get back. Let's get back to the premise of the show. The premise on which this That's show. That's what is I'm based. talking about. That's the premise. Okay, the premise of the show is mm-hmm. this is a chance for us to see movies we probably should have seen by now. For me, no. I have not seen a lot of classics. I haven't seen a lot of the, you know, oeuvre of a lot of famous filmmakers. <laughs> You're so still my excuse. It wrong. It's oeuvre. <laughs> you have. So what's your excuse? Your excuse is you need to expose yourself to more things because you are a close-minded little shit. <laughs> you don't. You watch the same thing over and over again. You just watch that... like the same four filmmakers over and over again. You need to expose yourself to more things, and that's why I forced you to watch this movie. <laughs> well, this, you're right about that. I don't expose myself to enough things. <laughs> but John, you said classics. This yes. is what's important. This is, these are films worth committing to memory. This is a cultural And we will get into what, what about Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is worth committing to 
again, the, the greatest cinematic achievements of the last 120 years. This is a very important cultural touchstone, okay? Is it? When this movie came out, mm-hmm. it was a hit. It was a smash hit. Smash Took the hit. pop culture by storm. I believe I have the Wikipedia page open. Let's see, smash hit. Yep, uh, $30 million worldwide. You know what? <laughs> In terms of the cultural zeitgeist, priceless. Okay? You're you can't right. put a dollar sign on that, all right? That's true. That's true. Citizen Kane was a flop. Mm-hmm. There you <laughs> go. Just, just another way in which this movie is completely different from Citizen Kane. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, John, I did find one. I found this for you. Okay. Um, actually, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of the Cannes Film Festival. Okay. The biggest film festival of, of in all the world. Okay. And there are several Palme d'Or winners we could have picked from. Uh, picked. Um, we could have picked one of the many films uh, that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival from the Dardan Brothers, one of my favorite filmmakers. Oh, jeez, here we go. <laughs> and instead we picked this, which uh, actually premiered under the Uncertain Regard uh, section of the f- festival. So there, there's a slight, slim timeliness to this selection. Okay. I'll give you that. I just wanted to watch it. I just wanted to have a good time. And I okay. did. And everyone had a good time. <laughs> I had an okay time. This movie is is fine. Okay, so the reason why this movie is culturally important, because yes, when it came out, came out mm-hmm. in the early 90s, drag performances were still very much of a niche thing. Still kind of an audience. And still a niche thing. I think... It, <laughs> I, I disagree, good sir. I disagree. I think drag is having a nice moment right now. You've got RuPaul's Drag Race. We should talk about RuPaul, okay? Because again, he was also a product of the early 90s. Mm-hmm. After coming up in the New York scene in the 80s, the early 90s, that's when he blew up. And that's when this movie came out. And we also had Tu Wan Fu, or Thanks for All the Memories, Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar. There you go. See? (laughs) This is culturally important. I was actually shocked to learn. I thought Tu Wan Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, was a remake of of Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes. Turns out they were produced completely independently of one another. Exactly. And released within, I think, six months of each other. Mm -hmm. We have this Australian production and an American production, starring very... Notable actors. This is why this film is important. Drag was having a moment. Okay. At this time. Okay. Um, do you want to look at uh, Convoy next week? Because CB radios were having a moment in the late 70s? Excuse me. You wanted to watch The Goonies, so... <laughs> because that that actually has uh, some pop culture resonance today. Oh, really? Yeah, really? I mean, we mentioned we mentioned that one character like literally is lifted into Stranger Things. Hmm. So, obviously, it has some impact 30 years oh, later. Oh, because this doesn't have a level pack from LEGO Dimensions. It's not worth, you know, talking about. I get it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> That's what you're implying, good sir. I, I didn't imply that. <sighs> you disappoint me. <laughs> John, what did you want me to say? John, you're, thank you. This is such a wonderful experience. I had such a wonderful time. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say this it's... Belongs in the, uh, this belongs... Why didn't this win the, sweep the Oscars? <laughs> I'm not saying this is, like, the greatest movie of all time, but I think it's a fun little romp. All right, it is. And I think you should, and yeah, and I think you should appreciate that. I mean, again, we can't watch Citizen Kane every week, obviously, because again, you suggested the Goonies. <laughs> again, why are you putting this on me in my selection of the Goonies? Because what? Do you, what's what? Where? Where's? Where do you draw the line? Okay. Explain to yes. explain this to me like I'm a two year old. Where do you draw the line, good sir? You're on the stand d- right now, and I'm Denzel Washington, and I think there's something going on under here. Hmm. I draw the line. I'll, I'll, lay, I'll lay my cards on the table. <laughs> I am not as enamored with drag as some people. I, un- I 
listen, I, I, I am a pro-happiness person. I am... <laughs> I am oh, that's socially good. good. I'm glad we got that do. on the table. Greg is a pro happiness person. Yes, if you want to, if you are a man who wants to doll him or herself up in the most garish makeup you can and lip sync to songs, and if you want to, I don't know, go to a bar, go to a club or bar, and pay money. I don't know if people actually paid money to see these. <laughs> uh, if people actually pay money to see drag shows, but again, more power to you. I am not one of those people. So you could, so John, can you understand me not wanting to, not me not exactly clamoring to see a movie centered around drag performers? I was hoping maybe this would enlighten you a little bit. Okay. And maybe you could have a good time. I guess that's impossible. I guess that's too much for me to ask. I, well, John, what what do you seem like disappointed that I'm not that I wasn't exactly floored? Like again, what ex, what reaction were you expecting? I was just expecting for you to at least admit that it's a good movie. It is a good movie. It's a fine movie. All right, then why are you shitting all over it? I'm not shitting all over it. I'm shitting all over you for kind of imposing. Yeah, because again, you're never, you were never going to expose yourself to this movie unless I forced you to. <laughs> well, no, I'm more thinking of the listeners here. Uh, the listeners want to hear about this movie. Do they? Yes. Who's been, clam- who's been clamoring to hear about this movie? Uh, everybody. Because <laughs> everyone has a good time watching this movie. Except for even you, coyly admitting that it's like, oh yeah, it's a fine movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, John. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get those messages. I didn't hear us. Listen, I thought you know that we we only have so many movies to watch, John. And maybe, Are you, you know, kidding me? <laughs> we're only thirty episodes deep. I, <laughs> you think we're running out? The, who knows? Have you have you looked at what the current slate of summer movies is? <laughs> it's not going so well. But I'm just saying this is this is. For listeners, this is perfect spotlight territory. Instead, we're we're blowing it up to, I think, classic status, and I don't think it earns it I quite earns it, that I distinction. I think this is a, a truly unique movie that does. Deserve. Oh yeah, it's unique. Yeah. You know, in the same way that uh, I don't know the movie Bad Company is unique. But again, I'm not going to devote a whole episode to it. That is not a fair comparison, good sir. That is not a fair comparison. Yes, it is. It's my that's that's a movie that appeals to me, and I want you to watch. Obviously, I know you're not going to enjoy it as much as I will, but. Look, I don't want to watch any Chris Rock slash Anthony <laughs> Hopkins collabos, okay? I know they're one. both fine actors at what they do, but put them together, it's like chocolate and caviar, you know? It's just not going to work, all right? <laughs> Bad example, because chocolate, and he's black. But anyway. <laughs> not that... No, no, not that bad company. Again, okay. it's a Western. Obviously, oh. I know you're not going to enjoy a Western on the level that I will. Well, again, what's so unique about a Western? How often do how often do you get to see drag performers go across the desert? Exactly, it's the same thing. They go across the plains of the United States in the same way that three drag queens go across the the desert of Australia. Not in the same way. Mm-mm. How often do they <laughs> sing opera on the top of a bus? Mm. <laughs> okay, we'll get. To, uh, l- listen, let's get into it. Okay. We're, oh, let's we are parse. in it. We are in it. We are in deep. <laughs> this is a fight. <laughs> okay. This movie moves at a breakneck pace. <laughs> well, I think I think it's important for all road movies to kind of just again, you know what to expect. Get on the, get on yeah, the road. so just get there as fast as possible. Okay. So we well, open I... on Hugo Weaving mm-hmm. playing Mitzi. He's performing yeah. at a shitty dive bar. Only like half the people are really paying attention, the other half are like talking or playing pool. Mm-hmm. And you know, he gives a grand performance, you know, gets a nice little applause. A uh, lip syncing battle, yeah. It's not Olympic battle, okay? That's from RuPaul's Drag Race, okay? See, you're so ignorant. You're so ignorant. I can't even. I can't even with you right now. Why don't, why don't they sing themselves? I don't understand. 
because people don't like to hear new performers. They want to hear the old performers. <laughs> oh, so people just want the things that are familiar and they want to return to again and again and again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this coming from you. <laughs> exactly. I was pointing out the, the hypocrisy in your, in your argument that, oh, people want to see what's familiar. But I'm going to admonish you, Greg, specifically. <laughs> see? Check. <laughs> It's all about the pageantry, Greg. It's all about the clothes, which they usually have to sew themselves because Lord knows a lot of women's clothes don't fit. Yeah, we'll, get to, we'll get to the clothes and the logic behind that. <laughs> because that, that definitely comes to the fore when, once they hit the road. But anyway, you're spending more time in the opening than the movie does. <laughs> After his performance, he gets hit with yeah, a beer it's can. It's a lackluster performance. Uh, somebody throws something at him. Yep. So he's having a bit of a rough night. Mm -hmm. Gets a call from someone, we don't know who, saying, hey... I got a four-week gig for you in Alice Springs. Hmm. For those who don't know, Alice Springs is like the Branson, Missouri of Australia. Yeah, like dead center, like dead like in the dead middle of nowhere. Dead smack in the middle, and all that's there is like chintzy casinos and old people. You know, yeah. you got to drive a long way to end up nowhere. So Yeah. Sh actually, shockingly, so it's at a casino. That, sh that casino was real. <laughs> they didn't make it up for the movie, which I was surprised by. Why would you, why would you be surprised? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> again... Uh, Everything about this movie is so authentic to the Australian experience. Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> Including a moment of racism we'll get to later, but I don't know. Movies don't, like, companies don't lend their name to movies without some kind of license fee or, again, I don't know if they want to be associated with a drag adventure, but, you know. Yeah, but it's not like the casino's named. No, it is. It is? Yeah, it's called Lassiter's. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. I completely missed that. Right over mm -hmm. my head. I was too enamored with the pageantry <laughs> and the fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the bitches. <laughs> he calls up his friend Bernadette. Yeah, and um, it turns out Bernie's... Uh, I'm just going to call her Bernie now. <laughs> um, Bernie's partner has actually just passed away. Yes. Uh, the partner's name was Trumpet. Mm -hmm. it's much younger. Kind of felt like a bit of a gold digger situation. Uh, okay. It was, because she kind of freely... Well, no, John, because you're extrapolating... Again, we're, you're, going into, you're diving into this deeper than the movie does. <laughs> because they attend the funeral. Mm-hmm. That's when that's when they meet in person, and uh, Mitzi uh, implores Bernie to go on the road with her. Her, her. I gotta get my pronouns right. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and did I did I do it okay? Did I yes, thumbs up? You did you did it right, Greg. Just, right. You can just say she. All right, it's fine. <laughs> so Bernadette. Well, exactly. That's the, the whatever. Jeez. <laughs> oh, that's the, that's the issue at hand. You're like, oh, don't just don't just blow it off. <laughs> Greg, Greg is just so square. He's just too square for this movie. You I can't am, handle I am. it. And I and I want to I want to visit Twitter without without having torches and pitchforks at the at my on my handle. Okay. So Bernadette is played by the great Terrence Stamp. Mm hmm And you can tell from his characterization, he's a bit of an old fart. <laughs> <laughs> he is the the MVP of this movie mm -hmm. by virtue of the fact that he is. Um, I think the expression is over it. <laughs> yes. She's very over it. Yeah. Bernadette, um, you can tell, is obviously a veteran of the drag scene. Mm -hmm. and Obviously, yeah, um, she wears her age on her face. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even really need this job all that much, but she does it no. out of a favor for Mitzi. Mm -hmm. And she's excited at the chance that the two of them are going to spend time together. Yeah. We should also explain um, Bernadette is a, a full transgender. Yes, she is. She's post-operation transgender, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. She's looking forward to the two of them spending time together, and then Hugo even goes, mm, three. And then we're introduced to Felicia, played mm -hmm. by Guy Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> Who, personally for me, is the MVP of the movie. 
What? I mean, everyone's great in this movie, but uh, Guy Pierce really just digs right uh, in. This, <laughs> I, I thought we were just going to diverge on the notion that we should even profile this movie for <laughs> the Aspiring Snobs podcast. This is where we're really going to diverge. Because Guy Pierce, as an actor, God bless him, uh, his character here, supremely annoying. That's the point. I know it's the point, but I needed something else. <laughs> we should also explain that as the plot progresses, we get little flashbacks. Mm-hmm. We get a little flashback of all their childhoods. And so, yeah, we get little flashbacks and little touches. But like even even for his character, mm-hmm. he was born Adam, now Felicia. Um, not, again, not very illuminating. And it just shows that he's he's been pretty much an annoying ass his whole life. <laughs> and that's that's what happens when we hit the road. He He basically lives to annoy Bernadette. Yes. And I think he... She, a, she basically... Oh, God. <laughs> I think she is an utter delight. <laughs> Great. I, I look forward to you two spending time together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, she is obnoxious. She is obnoxious. I get yeah. that. But again, mm-hmm. that's kind of going along with one of the things that Bernadette doesn't particularly like about Adam, besides the fact that he's annoying as hell and likes to push people's buttons, yeah. is the fact that she's under the impression that he's performing all the time. That this kind That's of a like good point. Yeah. annoying thing is just kind of like an act. That he can't yeah. really be this effeminate, he can't really be this screechy or this queenie all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's perfect contrast to, you know, Terrence Stamp's performance of Birdie, or which is, or Bernie, which is just, you know, stone-faced and just like, she's she's past all that by now. Yeah, well, yeah, she's very withdrawn, whereas um, Felicia is very out and in your face and mm-hmm. all those things. Um, but that's a good point that you bring that up because it's setting up like another, you can see another side of Felicia maybe. Mm-hmm. But as the movie progresses, you never do see that, do you? I mean, you do get a little bit of an arc with Felicia. In what way? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. She, are she you does saying, are you saying when she does yeah, eventually uh, learn a lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, a hard lesson. Yeah, exactly. Because to just to lay the the movie's cards on the table, they're venturing out into the middle of Australia. As, Rural as, Australia. As very out and proud drag queens. <laughs> I, obviously, there's we can anticipate two things. Yes. One. Their 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 conveyance their their vehicle will break down mm-hmm. this being a road movie, but two they will encounter some prejudice. Of course, yeah, and obviously for Adam that's probably the he's probably going to be the hardest hit with that. Mm. Being being as um, in your face and annoying as he is, exactly where his kind of annoyingness and where his out and proudness kind of comes from is the fact that he's never really had to face any adversity. No, we should probably explain that uh, their <laughs> convey- their conveyance across the desert is a bus that they dub Priscilla. Queen of the desert. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, they get it because they get it for 10 grand. Mm-hmm. Again, not, not an expensive proposition, but because Adam comes from a wealthy family. Exactly. And he gets his mother to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So they gussy up this beautiful, well, beautiful. <laughs> they smear some lipstick on this pig of a bus. They dub it Priscilla. Which I would have liked to seen. I actually would have liked a, a, a Batman Begins moment where they're actually decorating the interior of it. We don't get that. Was, again, we're, we're, we're you know, out on the road immediately. What I like about that is that it, it adds to the kind of absurdity and the kind of fun of the movie is the fact that get all these little touches and it's like, when did that happen? Like, <laughs> later on in the movie, a person sits down, uh, it's Hugo Weaving's character who sits down on like a bench mm-hmm. and just kind of sighs. And then he like gets up, lifts up the bench, and he realizes it's a tanning bed. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. when did they yeah, install that? Who knows? But, you know, yeah. it totally fits with the characters that they would spend the time to install a tanning bed on this bus. Mm-hmm. Again, fun. We're having fun. It's already fun. <laughs> well, actually, John, there's there's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just they set off their um, all their friends and audience, I guess, um, fans and things like that are actually yeah. helping them set off. Mm-hmm. Throwing confetti and streamers. Yep. But there's another across the street or something like that there's a there's a coast to coast run or something like that yeah so there's a little sight gag in this a running reoccurring sight gag in this movie where the minute they take off um across the street there's a woman who's running coast to coast all the way across australia for charity so she's got a little buggy that she's dragging behind her with a little like thing and so Frequently throughout the movie, whenever they're broken down or they've kind of stopped, you know, you'll see the little girl in the background going, wee 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 <laughs> So it's just, again, it's just a little sight gag. Well, yeah, I guess the first gag is it's it looks like a record attempt. You have guys in suits. <laughs> and then across the street, you have all these uh, queens. <laughs> they're throwing streamers and confetti. Yeah, like, and, yeah, goodbye. goodbye. Like, yeah, it's, setting, it's, as the bus sets off. Like It's like the Titanic casting off. They're like wishing them well. <laughs> oh, it's way more fabulous than that, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just wish that 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 came to some conclusion or something like that, or those two plots. Well, again, converge. it was just they, a, they don't. Yeah, it's just a sight gag. Okay, yeah, yeah. But again, like just you know, again, oh you gosh. you adore this movie. I wish I wish. Oh my god, these are little things that it doesn't go far enough for me to adore oh, it anymore. Geez. The the conclusion of the girl running across the country really had to have its its final breaking point. You know, it did. What if she got on the bus? <laughs> what if she started cheating? <laughs> See, this is this is my sitcom writing mind. <laughs> this is what uh, director Stephen Elliott really needed. Okay. So there's a, there's another important thing we really haven't talked about Mitzi much. No. And Mitzi, as played by Hugo Weaving, is the nice is the perfect middle ground between these two polar opposites of characters between Felicia and Bernadette. Yeah. She's the first among equals, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And I really like Hugo Weaving's performance because he does. Again, play it right down the middle. And he's someone you can tell who's, you know, obviously he performs in drag. He clearly, you know, is out and proud and kind of accepting of the fact that he's gay, but still kind of a little uncomfortable with it. It's like his drag performance is really the only way he has that outlet. Mm, No, I mean, I think think he understands social situations in the way that um, Adam does not. That is true. Yeah, so that's that's one thing. Like he can read a room better than Adam can, but he's not as experienced as uh, Bernadette is, and so can't can't confront a situation. So yeah, you're right. He does have this middle ground. Well, it's also comparing yes. him to Bernadette. Bernadette has transitioned. She's made the choice to live as a woman all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like she's willing to face that kind of discrimination or those kind of looks fully. Mm-hmm. This kind of sense of he's not completely comfortable with who he is comes through with the plot because as they hit the road, the question comes up, who got you this gig? And he confesses, it's my wife. Yes, he is still legally married to a woman. Mm -hmm. A real woman. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me? Are you saying trans people aren't real women? I... uh... (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You are right to be scared because I can trap you like this. (laughs) I I know. (laughs) I apologize. A a cisgendered woman is that right? No, because well, well, actually, yes, yeah. So cisgender. Okay, yeah. A cis a born cisgendered woman. It's it's implied that this was a beard situation. She's a lesbian. 
he's gay. Well, no, because their actual wedding is she's in the tuxedo, and that's what I'm saying. It's a beard wedding. She's gay. Is that what they're that is? both gay. Yes, they're oh, both gay, okay. and they're married I know, to I make know the what family happy. Was. Okay. Yeah. Then how does she have a baby? I guess maybe they had sex for the fun of it. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see if they both like it. They're yes. like, well, we're married <laughs> yeah. already. So that's uh, yeah. Sorry, that's something that um, Mitzi does not disclose is that he actually has a son as well. Yeah. They play it off at the beginning. You know, he's like, oh yeah, how many kids do you have? <laughs> yeah. And then in the third act, it's revealed. Well, we do have one. So yes. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. a boy. We'll get a, to that. a, a cisgendered boy. <laughs> In any event, they um, hit the road. They make one their first stop. There's one. There's one thing I also wanted to mention with Mitzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get flashbacks of all three of our main characters, with the exception of Mitzi. We do kind of get hints of the backstory, but again, they're kind of dreamlike. And they're well, they're withdrawn. Tubes. Yeah, they don't. They don't disclose full information like the ones involving mm-hmm. Bernadette and Felicia. Yeah, though, their flashbacks are very true. They're very transparent. Like this is actually how it happened. Where with his, well, they're fully, yeah, they're fully realized mm-hmm. skits, sort of. Where these are, you know, he's these are much more dreamlike, and he's like fully in drag. And there's a moment where he's in the hospital, like wearing this ridiculous chandelier costume, and Bernadette and Adam are there as like nurses, and it's like, why would they be there? You know, it's it's a dream mm-hmm. sequence. So, okay, but it's, well, it's yeah, that's it's harkening back to something that really happened in his life. Okay, yeah. Well, you say, yeah, dream sequence, but yeah, that's what I wish um, um, <laughs> in my hope that movies clearly lay out everything for me. Yes. So that I can Here we go understand. again. <laughs> Greg wants everything we need spelled to know, out. We need to know exactly. He wants everything what, to come what, to a nice definitive close. Yes. Or else it's not worth it. It can't just be a sight gag. We need to know what happened. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sight gag. Well, John, the sight gag really has to hit me oh, is the problem. All right. Again, again, you like you're just like, oh, I'm happy there's a sight gag there. Like, I want the sight gag to be good. <laughs> Not everything in the movie has to like accomplish one grand, like a grander scheme. It can just be like a funny little aside, and that's fine. Absolutely, no, and especially saying... if it's a road movie. Like road movies are just a series of vignettes. No, I mean, well, I think they can be. I think it can transcend the genre, John. It doesn't have to play by the rules. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm really hoping for classics here, John. I have my I have my hopes and expectations high. Okay, but in any event, um, their first stop is at a quiet country town. Um, they go out in their full regalia, and this and they um they wind up in a saloon, and this is actually my favorite scene in the movie. They end up in a saloon. Uh, one woman clearly does not like their company there. No, um, but obviously Bernadette kind of comes to the rescue. Hello. Could I please have a stallion tonic, a Bloody Mary, and a lime daiquiri, please? Well, look what the cat dragged in. What have we got here, eh? A couple of showgirls, have we? Where did you ladies come in from? Uranus? Could I please have a stop? No! You can't have. You can't have nothing. We've got nothing here for people like you. Nothing. Now listen here, you mullet. Why don't you just light your tampon and 
blow your box apart. Because it's the only bang you're ever gonna get, sweetheart. <laughs> and then we cut to hours later in the night. They're all drunk. <laughs> yeah. They're all performing. Felicia's kind of like on top of the bar, like, you know, doing a little dance, but it's clearly very sloppy. Yeah. And then Mitzi is, you know, you know, falling over, you know, just kind of like barely, <laughs> barely keeping it together. Yeah. Barely keeping a conversation together. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to Bernadette and this uh, woman who they were clearly at odds earlier now uh, having a drinking game, drinking mm-hmm. contest, putting the shots back. Yes, and obviously, the stone-faced Bernadette <laughs> demolishes her. Not one to be trifled with. No. So I that that being that was my favorite scene, I, most overtly comical too. I guess it it matched my expectations of what a what a comedy should be. Oh, okay. Set up payoffs and oh, okay. all that. Well, I mean, thank goodness this matched some of your expectations. <laughs> I'm just letting me. you know it did there. All right. I, I got, I, I'm coming to you with this. I'm saying, I'm giving you something positive that I liked in the movie, and, and already and you're reacting negatively to that too. <laughs> you should have appreciated. It's it like more. I can't win. <laughs> you should have appreciated it more. That's all I'm saying. But the scene kind of Im- leads to two less than ideal circumstances. Yeah, it's kind of undercut by two more dramatic scenes. Yes, the first so, being uh, they get so drunk that Fel- uh, Felicia refers to Bernadette as her original name, Ralph. Yeah, and that ignites a bit of a, a row. Mm-hmm. Bernadette actually fights. <laughs> she Asia. physically assaults her for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wake up hungover the next morning, and they discover their uh, bus has been graffitied mm-hmm. with the words, Aid fucker, AIDS fuckers go home. Yeah. So even though they had won over everybody in this bar, they clearly have not won people over in this town. So... It's time for them to move on. Yeah. And it's a, it's a nice little kind of quiet scene. The next gas station they stop at, uh, Mitzi kind of admits that, you know, she likes to think of herself as strong, but it still gets to her every time she faces this kind of discrimination. I thought that was a nice little scene. Yeah. Again, yeah, again, a little weird that you're following up a, the best comedy scene with the kind of heaviest, you know, realistic scene of, uh, like, prejudice. That, well, that's just, you know, you know, that's dramatic contrast. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. happy into sad. You know, nothing gold can last. <laughs> you know. uh, isn't that the essence of still, drama? Still, I, I think. Isn't that the essence of drama? Tone sli- the tone slightly better. Um, I I think there was enough time that it didn't feel like so much whiplash. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Agree. Agree to disagree. All right. I, I won't. I won't personally attack you. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I just don't know how I can help you, Greg. I just want to help you. <laughs> and the only way I can do that is through shame. All right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> In any event, yes, uh, they don't let this get them down because our I think I think it's the next scene. Um, Felicia is riding on top of the bus with a giant giant cape or something like that. Yes, she constructs a gigantic flowing uh, frock. Apparently, mm-hmm. I mean we see them sewing and and creating their costumes, but yeah, this is, this I, again strains reality. Like, well, again, know. that's that's what I thought was so funny. Okay. Again, like when did they install a tanning bed on here? doesn't yeah, matter okay. or like it still fits you know all right just the exaggerate okay exactly the exaggeration and again it's just like the scenic view of you know this uh, woman on uh, this man in drag like you know on top of a bus singing opera mm-hmm. 
it's a, it's a quite a spectacle that you know you don't see very often in cinema. You have to admit. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I think that's what makes this movie so unique. But they come to a crossroads, and they have to decide: do we take the main road, or do we take the more rural route that's shorter but less civilization? Yeah. They decide to take the short route, and inevitably break down. Yeah. Because this is a road movie, and you know what's going to happen. Have to have a breakdown. And they actually get rescued by. Um... Well, this well this does lead to my one of my other favorite lines, mm-hmm. which is uh, Hugo Weaving's looking at the engine. Yeah. I think he has a wrench in his hand or something like that, but it's over at Bernadette and says, well, I think I know less about engines than I did before. <laughs> yeah. And he's uh, using his cosmetics to kind of lube up the engine because that's the yeah. best. That's whatever. That's the best he can do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Or cool it down, you know, who knows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, they are aided by a bunch of aboriginals. Yeah. And this is a fun little scene. Uh, racist. Why is it racist? <laughs> Got you. Got you, John. Are you forgetting? <laughs> what? Sorry. Native people. There's one little uh, cultural thing that um, if there, if this movie were released today mm-hmm. and experienced any backlash, it would be for this, bro. <laughs> Are you aware of the uh, Stolen Generations? Yes, I am aware of this. St- I've seen Rabbit Proof Fence. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> for, for anyone that don't doesn't know, for most of the 20th century, actually, um, Aboriginal kids were taken from their families and assimilated into white culture. Which we also did in America. <laughs> yes. I, again, I... I I didn't say I didn't say that to absolve America. But I know, I know. It's just it's, I'm just saying this was a something horrible, that frequently happens. It's a sadly yeah, this under was a, a horrible, reported. disgustingly racist practice. Yeah, in Australia for most of the um, 20th century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was I was triggered on it because um, yeah, they're found by a, an Aboriginal guy mm-hmm. who um, is with a, his uh, a presuming family and a group of nomads who are just um, surrounding a campfire. Mm-hmm. They're all just kind of like sitting around the campfire, just having a little barbecue, and they're mm-hmm. all you know playing their guitars and just kind of like singing their little songs. And then Mitzi kind of suggests it's like I think it's our turn, and then they do their little routine for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then what happens, John? Well, they decide you know like the guy who rescued us is kind of really into it. Like let's give him a makeover. Assimilation braces. <laughs> <laughs> just another stolen generation. I'm triggered. <laughs> They're just they're just showing him a good time. Nope. He liked it. <laughs> nope, it's a nope, it's a clear microaggression and a clear reminder of this despicable practice. <laughs> they're also turning him gay, so you know, there's also that. <laughs> exactly that too. It's part of the insidious gay agenda. <laughs> I thought it was a fun little scene. Eh, it's it's fine. Okay. <laughs> but after the fun little night with the uh Aboriginal people, they uh uh pull him into a little town and they go to a little mechanic and the mechanic turns out to be Bob. Uh, Bob is a gentleman. Yes, he has a mail order wife from Vietnam <laughs> yes. or Thailand. Thailand, I believe. Well, not mail order. I mean, she. This is probably okay. This is probably how... the weakest part of the movie. I will freely admit. Bob is willing to fix up their truck. He's clearly not judgmental. He doesn't really care that they're you know, there's a trans woman and two gay guys there. He's just like, all right, yeah, I'll fix your bus. Um, <laughs> well, he sounds a little more gruff than that, bro. Well, that's true. I'm I'm just thinking of him. This is the same actor who voiced the dentist in Finding Nemo. So, okay, that's what I know him from. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but you're uh, you're right. He's not very well characterized because, yeah, there's nothing there's nothing really more to him. Well, no, and the reason I, why mentioned, I, I mentioned the flashback. Uh, there's a flashback, it's, and it reveals it's, it's not a mail order bride. It's actually he was coerced mm-hmm. into marrying this woman. Yeah. So again, it's like not really illuminating of his story it's just it's just trying to it's just a funny little aside yeah it's just to like, logically explained how he wound up in this marriage but yeah there, there needs to be more to bob i think 
Um, I get, the reason why I described him as a gentleman is because that's what Bernadette sees, and he is very like, yeah, he's just kind of a generally nice guy. Yeah. And again, Bernadette kind of finds herself a little attracted to her, him. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, obviously she's a little guarded. You know, she's very standoffish. You know, she doesn't want to make any moves or anything like that. But you know, the other two kind of like try to push her in that direction, and she yeah. opens up a little bit and opens her heart to him. Yeah. So that's that's where this mm-hmm. kind of subplot subplot goes exactly and also Speaking they, they kind of need him to <laughs> he goes along with them eventually because they need someone to keep maintaining the bus as it breaks down <laughs> yeah so he's also he's also there for plot convenience yeah it was just something logically i didn't understand is the bus is broken down they need a new gas tank but it can still run for somehow yeah well yeah. it's like the gas tank was like gunked up after years of neglect so it's like yeah. it can still run just not very efficiently mm-hmm. yeah so yeah yeah, I have a few more logical questions, John. Do you, can I run them by you? You know quick? what? It's so great when you get kind of caught up in the weeds. Like that's really <laughs> film criticism, isn't it? Yes. When you yes. get caught up on little details, mm-hmm. like that's yeah. what's important. Yes. Let's go plot point by plot point. Bernadette is obviously attracted to Bob, mm-hmm. but why was a young twenty-five-year-old named Trumpet? Why were they an item? Because again, it was kind of uh, it was implied to be kind of a trophy marriage. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Now another another logical question. I well Why? hold on hold on you 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 missed the most important line at the Which end is- of the funeral. Bernadette kind of admonishes him. It's like how selfish he, you know, dies and leaves me at age twenty five. <laughs> that is a good line. Yes. <laughs> but John, another another important logical question. Okay. Why does Guy Pierce not age like the rest of us? Because the universe is cruel and unfair. <laughs> Not to, not to Mr. Pierce, it is. Well, no, he's got the extremis virus. When he joined AIM, he injected himself, and now he can regrow limbs, and now he's got to defeat Tony Stark. So, <laughs> Great. <laughs> Call back to an Iron Man movie. Accomplished. <laughs> the worst one since Iron Man 2. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> that was directed by Shane Blackie Monster. <laughs> anyway, third third logical question, John. Okay. They're halfway across the Australian outback. Why haven't they been killed at this point? <laughs> well, that leads us to the next town that they stop at, which is a coal mining town. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that was not a that was not an intentional lead-in, by the way. That well, was just me. see, that's you know, this is why you're so good at podcasting. Indeed, I am. <laughs> These unintentional transitions. Yeah. They their next stop um, is like a coal Bob mining warns. town. It's very kind of rough. Yeah. And tumble. Bob warns them. Mm-hmm. This is not. This, this will not be an accepting. <laughs> place and uh sure enough they're like they intentionally kind of like keep adam in the bus they're like you're not allowed mm-hmm. to leave or a hotel yeah they put him up in a motel oh yeah they do put him up in a motel my yeah bad. all right anyway um obviously felicia is not having any of this no she gets stalled up and uh hits the town hello i'm new in town no kidding could I have a Bloody Mary, please? It's a beer or nothing, sweetheart. Well, I'd better have a beer then. Cheers. What are you all looking at? I'm sorry. We didn't mean to stare. We don't usually get women down here. Oh. 
So what do women do around here besides watching videos? Well, 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 look who we have here. You know that bloke, do you? No. So, who's going to show me the sights? Be my pleasure. Oh. So how about it? Well, I suppose a fuck's now out of the question. Get up, come on, boys! Come on, boys! Who wants to see my map of Tasmania? That's just a setup, you know, what she's looking like and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then she meets some boys who are out drinking beers, but they. Uh... Well, Bob is there. Bob has told them where he'd be. Ah, that's true. Yes, she's she's going to greet him. And mm-hmm. Bob's a, Bob's a little embarrassed by her, <laughs> as as he probably would be. <laughs> I mean, he's he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, again, because Felicia just pushes buttons. This, yeah. this is just her stick. Mm-hmm. And again, I wish there was something more to it, but well, again, this is the important lesson he has to learn. <laughs> Basically, he has to get his ass kicked. <laughs> exactly, which is exactly what happens. Yeah, but it's also a big moment for Bob because again, Bob like Bob kind of redeems himself. He was embarrassed. He pretended like he didn't know Felicia. Redeem- well, yeah. And he actually comes to her aid when he starts getting his ass kicked. Yeah, it's oh well, yeah, it's not exactly a huge redemption. Mm. It's not exactly a huge. I mean, redemption but arc. yeah, but it's a, it's a good moment for Bob to stand up for mm-hmm. one of these three ladies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's uh, Felicia's arc, I guess. <laughs> I mean, to not be such a wise ass and a loud mouth because he uh, almost gets his jaw broken. Exactly, and uh, she, sorry, she. That's, God, Greg, come on. <laughs> And she can't talk for pretty much most of the third act, which the other ladies Thank take God. <laughs> and the other ladies take advantage of. Yeah. But there's also a nice little sweet moment where Bernadette kind of like offers a shoulder for him to kind of like lean on and kind of yeah. says like this is a teachable moment. Yeah. She's she's dealt with this her whole life. Yeah. There and is, that's another great line, like don't let it bring I think, it don't let it wear you down, make it let it like make it make you stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that poetic. (laughs) Way to go, Greg. (laughs) I gotta say, you know, a lot of great lines in this movie, a lot of great direction in this movie. Yeah. All credit in the world to Stephen Elliott, a filmmaker I'd never even heard of. Uh, He's, uh, a lot of his movies are, you know, Australian and they are gay-themed, so there's not a lot of reason why they'd end up in America, so. Well, hang hang on. (laughs) That just just seemed like a big dig at American theaters for not, (laughs) or American audiences for not accepting... LGBT friendly. Oh no, Americans hate Aussies. You didn't know this? <laughs> oh, I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, right. Those shrimp guzzling <laughs> desert folk. <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why we can only import their, their block. Their their biggest import is one, lumber. I mean, look at Russell Crowe, Sam Worthington, Jai Courtney. Yeah. Oh, oh, because they're wooden, They're bad actors. I, yes, ah, yes. Thank you. And we'll add you. a big applause. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they eventually make it to Alice Springs. Mm-hmm. And it's revealed that Hugo Weaving's character has a son. Yes, Bernadette faints at the very idea. <laughs> well, they, they we cut back to the complete flashback mm-hmm. of the actual birth. That's I, yeah, I didn't even notice Bernadette was there until we see her. Faint. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bernadette and uh, um, Guy Pierce are standing in for like the. Well, nurses. John, you missed you missed uh, Mitzi's wife. 
I mean, well, yeah. She's... We're, we're introduced to her, too. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, she's kind of a non-entity. <laughs> yeah, her name's Mary, and there's not a whole lot to her character. Yeah, she's very friendly. I would say she's excited to see them, but yeah. and say, like, excited to kind of have this quality family time and introduce her son, yeah, to her father, his father. Yeah, this is part of the reason why she decided to have him come do this show is so that, A, she can kind of, like, you know, have the boy actually meet his father because they, mm-hmm. they clearly haven't seen each other in years. But also she's, like, freely admits, like, I need a break. You need to raise this kid for a while. Yeah, from, yeah. It's a struggle being a single parent in a place as dead as Alice Springs. Exactly. <laughs> so the other kind of big conflict is going to be that once this month-long run of shows is done, he's going to be taking the kid back with him to Sydney. Mm-hmm. And he's clear. Which they don't really set up. I mean, it just sort of happens. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, again, it's like part of the whole shock and surprise. Because again, yeah, she didn't, yeah. I mean, she, you know, again, just got him out here to do this show. Uh, Felicia and Bernadette weren't aware that he even had a wife or a kid. Yeah, it's a shock for that. I guess what I want, what I want this plot to do and what I want, <laughs> and what I want the woman who's running coast to coast, like I want them to like mean something. Like I do want that kind of sitcom setup and payoff. Mm. I guess you appreciate that. It's, so more that basic. Things... Greg needs his movies more basic. <laughs> well, basic? No, I I think it's less basic. Mm. I think it's actually more interesting if you kind of put those puzzle pieces and you know, kind of connect something from the beginning, connect it all the way to the end. Well, I mean, you seem you seem to be more you know, these they feel like garnishes instead of like a full meal is what I'm saying. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think they kind of. I mean, it. You're right. It does kind of feel very sudden that we find out he has a son, but again. It's because the characters don't know. So we're learning at the same time as the characters. No, but we're still seeing the world through the eyes of Hugo Weaving's character, and he obviously knows he has a son. He knows what he's confronting when he gets to Alice Springs. Yeah, I know, but I mean, he also kind of has to have his own surprise as well, which is like, now I'm going to have to raise this kid. And again, that's, you know, that's a continuation of the conflict. It's setting up this whole internal conflict he has, which is like, he wants to be an out and proud gay man. But again, now he's got to raise a son, and he clearly has qualms about that. Yeah, I'm I'm missing that, you, bro. You think he's Greg? He spells it out for her. He says he has no problem with the fact that he has a kid, but again, his major concern is like, have you told him what I do for a living? No, but that's more about him raising a son. That is not about him like being out and proud in a world or something like that. It's it's both. If it was, it's both. I know, but it's in one scene that I that I apparently forgot it. <laughs> forgot it. <laughs> it's in one scene that I had forgot. And so maybe if this was like set up, maybe if he could, you know, have a heart to heart with Bernadette earlier in the movie or something like that. Like again, it would feel it would be more impactful, is what I'm saying. I think the movie kind of plays subtly with that, and that's why it doesn't need that. Because again, okay. we get that about the character. All right. And again, the son is a fun little addition to the movie because <laughs> it's the, yeah, he is yeah. I mean, because it, I mean, well, it also kind of feels like not a huge payoff because it's like revealed it's like the kid they perform their first opening show and the kid is there mitzi faints yeah when marion told yeah, them that he was asleep and yeah. yeah mitzi's obviously embarrassed now his son knows who he is and what he does for a living mm-hmm. and mitzi's horrified and then mm-hmm. later we see the kid hanging out with adam and adam of course pushing buttons likes to call his shit <laughs> says like so, do you know what your dad does for a living? He's like, yeah, he dresses up in girls' clothes and dances. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, 
did you do you think he has a boyfriend <laughs> like he's kind of like testing to see like if like if he can surprise his kid and the kid is completely nonplussed he's like oh yeah i mean mom used to have a girlfriend she's not dating anyone right now <laughs> you know the kid's like mm. perfectly comfortable with okay. you know the fact that both his, both his parents are gay and it does kind of feel a little anticlimactic but it's also you know the natural extension of what would happen you think so <laughs> well yeah because again he uh, mitzi got worked up for nothing Okay. And, you know, we get that final kind of like camping scene towards the end where, you know, he's like, all right, got to raise this kid. You know, he's working himself up. He's like, now I got to be a father. So what does he do? He dresses in the worst outfit imaginable. <laughs> beige pants, beige shirt, well, and a cowboy hat. Worst, worst outfit imaginable. Uh, no, that's a fine outfit. That is a outdoors. gross outfit. <laughs> outdoors activity. That's why you can't appreciate this movie because you think that's a fine outfit. You just... <laughs> you. I don't even know why I had it from the sun. I don't even know why I had any hope you could appreciate this movie if you think that works. <laughs> I just can't with you. I mean, it's again, it's a good laugh, and I think we could have, you know, had the possibility for more laughs when he has to be a button-down father instead of a fabulous drag queen. But yeah, you know that again. You're you're happy with the you're happy with the little colonels. I wanted a big full meal. Jeez, oh, a cohesive meal, I should say. <laughs> Where the appetite the appetizers first perfectly complement the main course, which perfectly complements dessert. Great, more food metaphors. And so, yeah, I guess we can't we can't always get what we they want. They never get sick of the move food metaphors, do they? Yeah, mm-hmm. they they because they work. No, no, no. Totally work. It's a road movie. Speaking of which, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's a fun little. It's a road movie. It's a fun little comedy. It's a series of vignettes with. It's a larger character study, and that's what I think works. <laughs> character study. It is. <laughs> That explains why I'm bored. I hate studying. Oh, there you go. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we should probably explain that um, at the very beginning of the movie, um, Adam, or excuse, Adam slash Felicia, mm-hmm. um, explained that she wanted to go up to the top of this mountain mm-hmm. in her drag regalia, and they do do that as a trio. Yes, and that's kind of the big kind of yeah. fi- uh, climactic triumphant yeah. moment. They yeah. climb all the way to the top of this rock in their in their full garb. Watch the sunset. But he says he wanted to do it in heels, but and they're in their boots. Oh, they are in their boots. I dis- didn't even that know. disappointed well, me. Well, I mean, safety insurance for the actors. <laughs> I know, but we've we've kind of stretched reality enough. I mean, <laughs> we saw the performance at the casino. How quickly they change costumes. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, just I don't know. It would have been funnier if it was in heels. <laughs> Again, Mr. Elliot, call me. I can I can we can workshop your next movie. <laughs> I got ideas. That's all. I'm Look, Greg. Terrence Stamp, Hugo Weaving, and Guy Pearce are all amazing performers, all right? Mm-hmm. And they've already done their due diligence in the heels, okay? I think it would have been a little much to ask them to hike in heels, all right? Okay. You can only push them so far. I don't know, but you call cut or whatever, give them back to the trailers, and then... And so, after their little four-week review, mm-hmm. they're going to head back to Sydney, and Bernadette reveals, I'm not going with you. She's nope, she's stay. sticking around Alice Springs. Mm-hmm. And she's going to try to make it work with Bob. Or at least that's what's implied. Yeah. Well, I think she, yeah, it's like a, I guess, retirement thing. (laughs) She's going to settle down for a quieter life after this little adventure. Exactly. And again, Mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense because she's been living as an out and proud trans woman her whole life. She can kind of, if she can make it work in Sydney, she should be able to make it work anywhere. Mm -hmm. So she has no fears. She's living with no fears, which is what Hugo Weaving learns. To live with no fears. (laughs) To be yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's. What makes this movie interesting is that, you know, drag as a performance is, you know, putting on a facade, but it's also revealing who you really are. 
Uh, okay. I think you're seeing layers and I'm not. Yeah. What a layers surprise. Foundation. Greg Le- can't look any deeper. He needs everything and spelled out and glitter for that honestly put me off a little bit, but yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? Homophobe. Again, more power to you. Homophobe. I'm a, I'm a, I shame you, sir. I'm a progressive. I'm a progressive pro happiness person who who hopes that you know everyone could pursue their bliss, and so <laughs> I just hope their son finds bliss because he he he's spending at least uh, at like eight months back in Sydney. Yeah, you know, kids need you know structure and stability. I'm not sure you know eight months across halfway across Australia is is good for him, but you know who am I? Who am I? I mean, change? he he's growing up in Australia. He never has a chance. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, what what chances do you have? We love Australia. We think you're we think you're a fine country. <laughs> God save the queen. That's our anthem, right? Yeah. Look for our live show in Tasmania coming up. Coming up soon. Yep. We hope we survive. <laughs> we will survive. Hey, as there it long is. as I know how to bring it at full circle. Yeah. I'm so good at this. Yeah. I, I guess we should we should probably mention the movie ends on a, on a triumphant performance mm-hmm. between Felicia and Mitzi. Yep, back in Sydney, and yep. you know everyone's, now everyone's really enjoyed this. Time. They were yeah, they weren't engaged at the club earlier. They weren't engaged at the uh, casino, but now they are. Exactly, big triumphant return. And the son is operating the uh, spotlight. Yep, he's loving his dad's performance and happily yep. ever after. I think yeah, I think he's on the shoulder of a, of a board stage. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he does this every night. He's not impressed anymore. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was funny. He has whether no familiar. Whether that was in Elliot's intention or not, I'm not sure. <laughs> Mama Mia, here I go again. It's a good time. So I could, yeah, I could. Yeah, you know what? I, I, you know, I won't. <laughs> I won't criticize anything else. John, I'll let you have this one. Thank you. Yes, that's all I want to find. Just like say, you know, like it's a fine. I'm not expecting you to say like it's the greatest movie of all time. That's it's, what it sounds like you're trying. You're trying to get out of well, me. Well, <laughs> no, I'm just saying like you again. You came in immediately like negative. You were like, I'm eh. not coming immediately negative. I came in immediately negative at the at the choice. <laughs> I did not come immediately in negative on the on the great filmmaking by Stephen Elliott. I'm actually going to go seek out some of his other films because yeah. again, this is great work here. He is a very good director. Uh, mm-hmm. I love his use of like wide angle lenses because oh yeah, I mean it does he, capture the landscape. It yeah. captures the landscape, but also he uses them for like close ups and stuff, so it kind of exaggerates everything. Yeah, it makes the bust look bigger. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, you know, in a movie about drag performers, exaggeration is key. <laughs> <laughs> you think just a little bit. Okay. Good choice. The da- the dance moves could have been better. I mean, it's not the most impressive thing in the world. <laughs> Again, you've got Hugo Weaving, Terrence Stamp, and Guy Pearce, great mm-hmm. actors, and you want them to dance too? Gosh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they can do it. <sighs> Killing me here. Your expectations are set. Maybe this is my fault. I set I set your expectations too high. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you think it should have won the Palme d'Or? <laughs> it, it, why not? Mm. The French love gay people. I assume. Anyway, John, we've, we've talked about Priscilla, Queen of the Desert enough, I think. Mm, I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. John, let's move on to Spotlight. 
Spotlight. Spotlight. Spotlight. Spotlight. Spotlight. It's time, Robbie. It's time. What do you have for Spotlight this week, Greg? Well, I've just I've just had a fabulous weekend. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes. Because I got to experience uh, the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and I also got to catch most of the episodes of the third season of the great Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable. It's a miracle. Unbreakable. Oh, uh, all right, fine. We're stopping there. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah I got to get to the rest of the show, bro. <laughs> You're right. We don't want to pay royalties. No. <laughs> I already sang Mamma Mia. Abba's going to be after me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This movie, this movie, <laughs> this TV show is a carbon copy of 30 Rock. I love 30 Rock, and therefore I love Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt by transitive property. Because if Greg, you like 30 Rock, you will love the show. As evidenced by the fact that Greg didn't love Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Greg only likes four things. So I, <laughs> I like more than four things. Okay. I like more than four episodes this season. All right. <laughs> it's not as strong as the second season. Um, it goes to some dark places. <laughs> I mean, that was always kind of baked into the premise of the show. Um, so the premise of the show... I don't, I don't think so, yeah. I, I don't think you necessarily have to be, but what I'm really looking for is literally like a like a joke machine and a license to be silly. That's what I want the show to be. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the premise itself is quite dark. The story of Kimmy Schmidt is that she was locked in a bunker since she was a teenager by a crazy reverend. Yes, for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, she emerges... And she decides she's going to try to pick up her life exactly where she left off. She moves to the Big Apple. Not exactly where she left off, because she wasn't in New York City at the time. Well, but... yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's it's, what... Yeah, it's really, it's really about her agency, and that's mm-hmm. that's the, the main theme running through the show, is um, kind of feminine power. Yeah, female empowerment. And I like it better than 30 Rock. I wasn't a huge fan of 30 Rock. But this show works better for me, because A, it commits to the goofiness a lot faster. 30 Rock had those kind of like early seasons where it was like still trying to play it a little bit straight. This is cartoon. Or, yeah, world. like a documentary handheld style, like The Office or something like that. And that didn't quite work. Yeah, when you have silly flashbacks. and Yeah, this is cartoon world like right out of the gate. Yeah. You have freaking like Japanese robots as a recurring <laughs> sight gag. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too is like, I find the pre- even though the premise isn't exactly relatable, I haven't been locked in a bunker at any point in my life. Mm-hmm. The struggle of her trying to make it in New York is relatable enough to me as opposed to Liz Lemon trying to have it all. <laughs> Can I be a TV executive and have a At family? A, yeah. <laughs> having a, having a, heck, even having a TV show to run <laughs> is an achievement of itself. Here we're kind of at the ground floor, mm-hmm. or I should say the basement apartment of New York City. And yeah, so all the characters are more relatable. <laughs> she and... doesn't even have a floor. It's revealed at one point it's painted dirt. <laughs> <laughs> right. I forgot about that. Her her apartment is technically a, a turned up tugboat. <laughs> Again, just silliness. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely silly. And I, the side characters are a lot more fun. That's true. It, the one thing you said told me that you always hated about Thirty Rock is how everyone's crazy. Mm-hmm. And here we get, um, especially in season three, we actually have a few good level headed additions. Exactly. There's one character who is a successful businessman who wants to gentrify. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 fictional borough of uh, New York City that they're in East Dog's and, Mouth is what the fake yeah, borough East is Dog called Mouth, yeah <laughs> yeah and so he he butts heads with uh, her uh, Kimmy Schmidt's crazy landlord Lillian who wants yeah, Lillian who who obviously wants the city to be as dirty and terrible as it was during taxi driver days <laughs> yeah she's trying to preserve yeah the shitty seventies New York out of a yeah. sense of you know authenticity. Out of the sense of authenticity, when really it's more of a fear of change. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So yeah, we get great little arcs like that. Mm-hmm. And we have her roommate Titus. Oh yeah, <laughs> speaking of uh, female empowerment. <laughs> Titus is a performer trying to make it in the world of Broadway. Yeah, and, and although I do like season three, I'm, I'm only missing two episodes, but yeah, they turn him into more of a selfish monster this season. Well, he's always been a selfish monster. <laughs> That's true. I, I get, yeah, he's always been a, he's always been a little self-centered, <laughs> uh, very narcissistic, but yeah, he's, he's just hysterical as always. And yeah, there's, there are these great combinations between writers and voice. And so Titus Burgess is just a great voice for Tina Fey's <laughs> silly, silly asides and, and gag and joke a minute, you know, exactly. plotting. <laughs> Um, one of the things that does annoy me is that a lot of the jokes kind of just have the same structure. They're all very funny, but it's usually like they're kind of repetitive. Well, yeah, they're they're mostly verbal based. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like there, there aren't a, yeah there aren't a whole lot of sight gags, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's really it really depends on on silliness and absurdity. Yeah, there's not a lot of cerebral jokes. I mean, like one of the they don't do it so much in season three, but in season two, there's a lot of jokes like this where it's like they'll say something that sounds normal, then explain it and realize that it's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Like uh, Titus, at one point, uh, he has too many clothes in his closet and everything collapses. Yeah. And he goes, much like Icarus, my other friend who put too many clothes in his closet, I put too many clothes in my closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like you get a lot of those kind of like jokes like that where they kind of explain themselves or carry something just a little too far and you realize how absurd it really is yeah Mm -hmm. part of that is now that they're on netflix they don't have broadcast television time restrictions and commercials to run through Mm -hmm. so yeah they do they do have a lot that they can play with exactly but still it never feels it so far in season three it doesn't feel tired or it doesn't feel like they're letting the joke go for too long so yeah i'm thankful for that Mm -hmm. so again very good check it out if you got netflix absolutely very good show they're putting, yeah, they're putting out a lot of stuff. Too much stuff. Too much. Netflix, slow Honestly, down. Netflix con. And put the classic... Fi- what happened to the classic films, John? I don't know. They're just trying the to... The film library is, is vacant now. I know. It's stupid. 50% anyway. original content. Need to compete with Hulu. <laughs> <sighs> screw, you, screw you, Ted. Makes me mad. Yeah. <sighs> but Ted's on I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the president. I call him Ted. He's a personal friend of mine. Yeah. So Yeah. I mean, we complain, but what else are we going to watch? <laughs> they got a spot of balls. Well, you're gonna tell it. You're gonna tell us, John, what we can watch. Speaking of Netflix, With your spotlight. Um, they just added a PBS show. Well, it's originally mm-hmm. aired on the BBC, but they recently mm-hmm. added three seasons of a show that I loved that hasn't come to American audiences uh, frequently enough, and it's a little show called The Great British Baking Show. <laughs> Well, it has come to the American audiences, John, in the form of our public broadcasting station. Yeah, like season five. That was the first season that they premiered in America. Was it? Yeah, because they were like, oh, it's too British. They won't like it. It's not dramatic <laughs> enough. And then they release it, and America fucking goes crazy for it. <laughs> so again, TV executives, you don't know what you're doing. All right? Get out of my okay. face. All right. Now, John, I love cooking shows. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm I'm asking for a full meal. Oh, I love an appetite. I love three courses. How 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 do we make how do we make baking exciting though, John? We, how, we know how much you love food. Yes. How how is this show different, John? I'll tell you this. Imagine Master Chef, Top Chef, one of those kind of like week to week baking competitions, mm-hmm. where we see each of our contestants kind of get picked off one at one by one. Now just imagine that taking place in a giant tent. In the pastoral English countryside, surrounded by sheep and geese. And rain. And rain. Lots of rain. <laughs> With light piano music playing in the background. And everyone just being genteel and nice and as 
lacking in drama as possible. <laughs> a very pla- a surprisingly placid show. Exactly. It's like, yeah. you know, cast... It's like the slow TV of baking shows. <laughs> cast your mind out of any cliche you can imagine from, like, a competitive baking show, and it is just... It is that. Mm-hmm. It is just mm-hmm. lovely and sweet and serene and earnest, and it is just an utter delight to watch. Okay. In spite of the competition, John, I mean... And despite of the fact that they're all competing, they all help each other out. They're all very supportive. Oh. They're all sad when one of their contestants has to go. They're, you know, the judges are the only ones who are being critical. And even when they're being critical, they're like still as nice as possible. Mm. So I mean. 12 to 13 amateur bakers <laughs> from all around the country of Great Britain come together and compete. They have three challenges every weekend. They film them on the weekends. They live their yeah. normal lives during the week. Um, so, yeah, they're amateurs. They, yeah, they're amateurs. They've got other jobs to do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, John, wait, John. Do they have? Are they single parents? Uh, do they do they scrape by? You know, struggle every day. No, not especially. We don't get a I lot know, of yeah. their kind of backstories. We get like I know. Yeah. yeah. Again, I was joking. I was casting my mind away from that cliche. Oh, okay. <laughs> like chopped, where it's like, you know, if, yeah. If I get this money, I'm gonna pay for my sister's dialysis. You know, it's not that <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> no. Like I'm doing this. I'm doing this for my mom that <laughs> is suffering from cystic fibrosis. <laughs> I'm gonna take my wife on that vacation she deserves. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna set up a school. <laughs> No, for raising orphans just like me. I don't even know if they even win money. They're really just doing it for the love of baking. <laughs> That's so sweet. I know. It's just it's the sweetest show imaginable. Mm. Um, so they have three challenges every weekend. Mm-hmm. They have the signature bake, which is just you know uh, something simple like let's say biscotti, or like a tart, and it's like just do it the way you would do it. Just be creative with it. You mean they don't have to incorporate four mystery ingredients? <laughs> that's where the okay, so that's where the next challenge comes in. The next challenge is the technical challenge, mm-hmm. where they are given a very obscure dessert to bake, and they are given the ingredients and the instructions, but the instructions are very bare. It tells them like the temperature, but no time, and basically like gives them like the most basic like roll this, you know, mm-hmm. knead the dough. <laughs> There's 12 but million no, ways yeah, to knead a dough, you know. Yeah, no limitations on time or exactly. They have to kind of rely on their, you know, prior knowledge and kind of their expertise. Mm-hmm. And then there's the showstopper. That's the final one where they have to construct, like, let's say, a tower of biscuits <laughs> or a wedding cake. That's where they really kind of like, you know, let their creativity shine and really just make uh-huh. something that really wows the judges. Mm. There's two judges. There's Paul Hollywood, who's the critical one. He's kind of the mean one, but when he, you know, is his name really Paul Hollywood? I don't, I don't, I don't want to even want to think about it. I don't want to know. Okay. What, yeah, because already, already it's starting to sound like Bravo now. <laughs> That's the yeah, exactly. But you know, he's he's very he's you know critical, but you know fair. Mm-hmm. You know, he's very technically minded. He's like this is a little underbaked, this is a little soft. He didn't need the dough in the right way. But then you have the other judge, Mary Berry, who I believe was grown in a lab with the DNA of everyone's grandma just kind of amalgamated together because she's just the nice, sweetest, awesomest lady of all time. <laughs> and uh, it's hosted by some British comedy duo, Mel and somebody. I don't uh, I don't know if you know who they were. Yeah. You, you spent time I, in England. I don't know. <laughs> Robson and Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> they make bad puns and, you know, they warn the bakers when they only have like 10 yeah. minutes left, you know. <laughs> you might as well just have Ted Allen do it, you know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> No, Ted Allen can't sell that. Excuse me? Ted Allen can sell... He's too real. It's that Ted Allen can sell anything, all right? 
No, he's too he's too he's too real. Like he wouldn't he wouldn't stoop to, you know, silly puns or something like that. Mm. <laughs> he's got too much dignity for that. <laughs> I think you're giving Ted Allen too much credit. <laughs> one of the hosts of Queer Eye for a Straight Guy having too much dignity. Mm, I'm not sure about that. He he was the dignified one. <laughs> he was the Raphael in that quintet. <laughs> It's a bad comparison because there's only four Ninja Turtles, Greg. Um, you're forgetting Splinter, duh. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> it's not called Splinters and Friends. It's called <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Splinter is none of those things. He's the mentor. <sighs> you just got me all fired up today. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm sure we've gotten the audience fired up, too. I, I know. You know where they can reach us, though? They can fire well, off. Yeah, where can they bring the fire, John? Where can they bring they it? They can fire off an email to us. At aspiring snobs at gmail.com. Or a tweet. Fire off a tweet. Point out how many times we got our pronouns wrong this episode. Exactly. Or maybe they can leave at a comment. Twitter, uh, on Twitter, at aspiring snobs. Maybe they can leave a comment at our Facebook page. Yes. Mm-hmm. And give it. Give us a like, mm-hmm. either ironically or unironically. Yeah. And then you can follow all our updates. Mm-hmm. That's where we post little extra things for you to check out. Yep. Mm-hmm. We post videos on there. We post uh, just uh, just our thoughts on you know movies in general, even television. I mean, we both profiled television. We got to talk about a TV show at some point. Eh. <laughs> movies are easier. We only That's two true. hours out of the week. Yeah. Share your thoughts. Connect with us. Yes. Share your thoughts. Join the conversation. Like and subscribe. Yeah. You. Can... I'm gonna set up a poll. I'm gonna see if Pris- Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> Does deserve to be in the aspiring snobs oeuvre. Uh, Do you have to see it to be a snob? Is what I'm is what I'm wondering. You know what? Because that's obviously our big that's our that's our biggest point of contention right now, John. I think your life is a lot richer for having seen this movie than not. Okay. All right. All right. I, I, <laughs> I, it, it, a matter of how much richer <laughs> is where is where we will differ. Okay. Fine. <laughs> but thank you everybody for listening. Again, we really do appreciate your your listenership. We do. We love you. (laughs) Uh, You're nice. (laughs) I respect you as colleagues. Yes. (laughs) And until next time, keep aspiring.